tonight the crisis that's putting everyone at risk. Three incidents of suspected drug impairment behind the wheel in the last week alone. Plus, word of mouth is everything down here. A vaccination clinic in the downtown east side and the challenges to make it work. And from transit to tuition, why many UBC students say costs are going up on a campus that's still shut down. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with breaking news. A Surrey RCMP officer has been arrested, and the arrest is tied to lower mainland gangs. Catherine Urquhart has the exclusive details. Global News has confirmed that a member of the Surrey RCMP has been arrested for possible links to a lower mainland gang. Sources reveal that the Mountie was taken into custody earlier this week after he was discovered inside a vehicle with known gang associates. The RCMP say that the member is probationary, meaning that they've been on the job for less than two years. This news certainly very troubling. In recent weeks, there have been six deaths from gang-related shootings in Metro Vancouver, including the murder of a 14-year-old boy. Numerous others have been injured amid the escalating gang warfare, which has prompted pleas from police and politicians for gangsters to put down their guns. The RCMP say the member has been released for now, but charges are expected in the coming days. Also, the member has been removed from operations and suspended. And in addition, an internal code of conduct review is underway. We can also tell you that sources say the Mountie was under suspicion for some time and the investigation involved an anti-corruption unit. Back to you. Catherine Urquhart reporting tonight. The overdose crisis has long impacted a huge cross-section of British Columbians. And once again, it's showing up, but this time on our roads. In the past week alone, three cases in Surrey where people were behind the wheel and are suspected of being drug impaired. As Julia Foy reports, the most recent happened during the height of Friday's evening commute. A terrifying incident with a vehicle heading into oncoming traffic. These three incidents, sadly, are not the first three that we've seen. A very serious crash in Surrey Highway 10. Surrey RCMP say Friday night's head-on collision at 152nd Street and Highway 10 capped off a week with several driver drug overdoses. We had a collision where an individual who may have um, passed out behind the wheel went head-on into uh, traffic in that intersection, then was in cardiac arrest when they were being dealt with and ended up having to be given Narcan. On January 25th and 26th, there were two other police calls involving passed out drivers linked to hard drug use. We've seen twice this week where vehicles went head on and we are very grateful that there were no significant injuries, but these both could have ended very tragically. This is not the first time we've heard of people overdosing while driving their vehicles. His hands were dangling on the side and he was like that. Over the wheel. In January of 2017, bus driver Jim Baxter thought the driver was dead. He was revived by CPR and naloxone. Two weeks later, a pickup truck smashed into the back of a Vancouver police vehicle. That driver lost consciousness 
and it took four shots of naloxone to revive the 24-year-old Maple Ridge man. The co-founder of the Canadian Association for Safe Supply says street drugs could be mixed with sleeping pills. People might be using uh, might be using other drugs that they buy on the illicit market, opioids or stimulants, and it ends up being cut with benzos, and they, you know, very abruptly pass out sometimes. Sturkel thinks this is a wake-up call for the community. When we think about the opioid crisis and we think about addiction. Sometimes people think about homelessness or they think about someone in a tent. You don't think about someone in the car next to you. In some cases, end up hurting, you know, not just that individual, but someone else on the road, perhaps. Westfall says until BC's safe drug supply is expanded, this may not be the last time we see a drugged driver behind the wheel. It is really a miracle that nobody was seriously injured. Julia Foy, Global News. About a week after a COVID-19 outbreak at the Surrey Emergency Response Centre, a vaccination clinic is now being held for those considered at high risk, those who live on the streets. But getting the word out to residents of Vancouver's downtown east side hasn't been easy. Paul Johnson reports. Well, anybody could go yesterday. It was wide open. Michael Leyland's a retired commercial fisherman who's lived in the downtown east side for more than 20 years. In the beginning, he says, many here kind of shrugged off COVID as just another of the many dangers they face. But as the pandemic has worsened, Leyland considers himself fortunate to have gotten shot number one. I was originally under the impression that I wasn't going to be able to get it until April or May. The downtown east side, and we know that people um, in those situations are much more likely to get severe illness. BC's vaccine rollout plan is based on age, with the oldest going to the front of the line. But high-risk communities, like the downtown east side, are prioritized with targeted immunizations. Other factors have been outbreaks in places like St. Paul's Hospital and some shelters. We're really trying to spread the word about the benefits of the vaccine and, and making sure that people have the information about where the clinics are. Brianne Demand is with the Binners Project, who are using their deep roots in the neighborhood to educate people about the vaccine. Word of mouth is everything down here. But like all communities, there is skepticism and resistance from some. Outside the clinic, this man explained his reason for not wanting to get the shot. Because I live a healthy lifestyle and I've been practicing isolation and all that. I find people very apprehensive, like, okay, if I can get it, I'll get it. But it's going to have to be convenient. So bringing the vaccine to them and doing it early may be a workaround to some of the challenges Leland sees. But he wonders how many will return for the second shot and how will their overall approach to health affect outcomes in B.C.'s toughest neighborhood. The people that are aware of their health and taking care of themselves care about it. However, the rest of them, there's not a lot of interest that I could see. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. In the interior, an outbreak at Royal Inland Hospital in Kamloops has grown by five. Interior Health says 76 people have now tested positive, 27 patients and 49 staff. 74 of those cases are considered active. The outbreak includes Unit 6 North after four positive cases were identified there. That's on top of the existing outbreak at Unit 6 South, where the outbreak originated. 
all infected staff members are said to be isolating at home. It is safe to attend the hospital for emergencies or appointments, and self-isolation is not required after visiting the hospital. Fraser Health has declared COVID-19 outbreaks at three correctional facilities in the Lower Mainland. The first was declared at the Surrey Pretrial Services Centre on January 20th, and the second at the North Fraser Pretrial Centre in Port Coquitlam January 22nd, the third at the Fraser Regional Correctional Centre in Maple Ridge January 27th. Mass testing determined active cases were limited to two units in Surrey and one in Port Coquitlam. Fraser Health says positive cases were only linked to one living unit at the Fraser Regional Correctional Center in Maple Ridge. The Yukon has changed eligibility requirements at its COVID-19 vaccine clinics after a wealthy Vancouver couple allegedly flew in and jumped the queue. Former great Canadian gaming CEO Rod Baker and his actor-wife Ekaterina are accused of chartering a plane to the territory on January 19th, ignoring quarantine rules, then two days later posing as essential workers to be vaccinated at a clinic in the small community of Beaver Creek. The pair was caught at the airport and fined under the Yukon's Civil Emergency Measures Act. Well, now you must show a Yukon health card, valid student card, or proof of employment or residency to get vaccinated in the territory. I want to be very clear, though, if you are a Canadian but do not live in the Yukon, you are not eligible to be vaccinated in the Yukon. You must be vaccinated in your home jurisdiction. Earlier this week, the B.C. government confirmed the bakers won't be allowed to get their second doses of the vaccine until August, when they're eligible on the age-based priority list. The couple is due to appear in Whitehorse Court May 4th. Advocates of an approach dubbed the Canadian Shield say B.C. faces a choice between aggressive action to bend the curve or the potential for a devastating third wave. Some academics and policy experts believe B.C. needs to move to a new strategy aimed at getting to COVID zero or close to it. Kristen Robinson has more, including reaction from the province's top doctor. We've pushed ahead before. And now some experts say we need to take it a step further. B.C. managed to cut its daily COVID case count in half since province-wide restrictions were implemented last November. But that progress has plateaued. Now's the time to make that extra push um, to, to achieve those sustained declines and to avoid that terrible third wave. B.C. is at a pivotal moment, says Robert Greenhill, who's pushing for a Canadian Shield strategy, which would aim to crush transmission to near zero by significantly reducing new cases and isolating and eliminating the new, more contagious COVID-19 variants. If you're not winning, if you're not sustaining declines week over week, you are losing, and inevitably, you're going to be faced with a nasty third wave. The group recommends banning all but essential international travel and ramping up variant testing until vaccines are widely available. BC could avoid a lockdown, it says, by maintaining a 20% week-over-week drop in new cases. There will be challenges at the border. These will be hard things to do, but we are already asking our population to do a lot of very, very hard things and to give up a lot. But Dr. Bonnie Henry says a move towards COVID zero doesn't fit for BC. Our biggest risk continues 
continues to be um, from the United States. And the people who move back and forth are across our borders from the U.S. And that is a reality of where we are geographically in the world and where we are um, in our social economic interactions. Critics argue the current containment strategy is not working and there's a brief window to prevent a UK scenario here. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Two teens stranded on Mount Seymour were rescued overnight. Cries for help were heard in the area known as Suicide Gully. North Shore Rescue says two 16-year-old boys were snowboarding out of bounds. Crews say the teens kept going in the wrong direction and got stuck in a bad situation. There was poor visibility and the operation was complicated because of the high avalanche risk on the North Shore Mountains. We were just snowboarding and we took one wrong turn and then we just kind of kept going down and then we had to get that great team to come save us. I'm really thankful. We were in a really bad situation. Um, it, it took our, our teams had to do some very delicate route finding in order to get down to them without putting themselves in danger. Earlier on Friday, North Shore Rescue also came to the aid of a man in his 30s who had injured his leg while skiing by himself on the Hollyburn Trails of Cyprus. Crews remind outdoor enthusiasts that if you run into trouble, you could be out there for a while. It's a situation that's hardly ideal. Most post-secondary students across the province are having to learn remotely because of the pandemic. And that has some university students questioning the costs involved, including fees for everything from the UPAS to a proposed tuition hike at UBC. Nadia Stewart has more. Of all the fees Debbie Kanoki figured she would not have to pay, the UBC UPAS was at the top of the list. I received a, an email just this week saying that I didn't qualify. She'd already received an exemption for the medical services plan, but she and others in her UBC graduate studies program say there is confusion around who has to pay the UPASS fee, the cost students living in the metro area pay to use public transportation. Some who live in the metro Vancouver area, some received the exemption, some did not, or an email that said that they were were denied and then they were accepted. Kenoki is among a growing number of students calling on UBC to rethink the way all of their fees are structured. It has been a big problem during the pandemic. Most students are learning remotely and they're concerned they're paying for services they are not able to access freely. In an email, UBC's Managing Director of Athletics and Recreation, Cavi Tour, says funds collected are not a fee-for-service levy on students, but are designed to support facilities and ongoing operations campus-wide. He says most of their facilities have been open, adding the cost of operating these facilities and programs remain high despite reduced occupancy. But this is about more than fees and tuition, something students have seen steadily increase over the years. It's a question of whether the school's leadership is truly listening to the student body. Where we, you know, have these increases, we ask students for their input. Um, we receive thousands of comments expressing, you know, how we don't want this and how this would be very detrimental to our financial situations, and they don't make an impact. UBC graduate student Julia Burnham says what's needed is a change in perspective, looking at it more relationally. Burdensome fees and increasing tuition means many are still shut out of post-secondary education, and those who are there don't feel heard. Nadia Stirk, Global News.
Starting today, the federal government is temporarily waiving a one-week waiting period for employment insurance benefits. The employment minister says it's aimed at easing some financial stress by providing income support sooner. The move will allow applicants to start their claims and receive benefits immediately. The rules are set to be in place until September 25th. An East Van skate group is putting on a community clinic this weekend, inspired by the explosion of roller skating during the pandemic. Now, this is a free and socially distant session at Surrey's Chuck Bailey Skate Park, one of three events held in Metro Vancouver today. The East Van Skate Crows are inviting skaters to submit a video of themselves in action, then slide by to collect a free PVC rail. Now, the Skate Crows will host an online clinic tomorrow. It's like roller skate city here. Oh, Tons of roller skaters. We usually get more space to uh, practice things, which is really helpful. This will give me a chance to do it inside. We're kind of a special breed in that a lot of us started skating uh, during the pandemic or got back into skating during the pandemic. So mostly new skaters. And yeah, I'm glad to be one of them. So much fun. The event is sponsored by TD Park People Grants. So far, more than 30 skaters are participating. The shocking moment a huge wave broke a cargo ship in two off the coast of Turkey. Three sailors died when the Ukrainian-owned ship sank in the heavy seas on January 16th after the wave snapped its keel near the bow. The search operation rescued the other members of the mainly Ukrainian crew. The Capitol Police officer who died of injuries he received during the violent insurrection at the U.S. Capitol earlier this month will be posthumously honored. The body of Brian Sicknick will lie in honor next week in the Capitol building's rotunda. Police say he was hurt while physically engaging with rioters. He died the next day. Congress will hold a ceremonial arrival on Tuesday night, followed by an overnight viewing period by members of the Capitol Police. On Wednesday morning, lawmakers will pay tribute before departure for Arlington National Cemetery, where the 42-year-old's body will be interred. The World Health Organization is criticizing the European Union for adding export controls on COVID-19 vaccines. The WHO says the new measures will cause supply chain disruptions around the world and potentially prolong the pandemic. Let's say it's not helpful to have any country at this stage put in export bans or barriers that will not allow for the free uh, uh, movement of the, the necessary ingredients that will make vaccines, diagnostics, and other medicines available to all the world. The new measures allow the EU to deny vaccine exports if the manufacturer has not honored existing contracts with bloc nations. The controls impact about 100 countries worldwide. The EU says the measures are temporary and not an export ban. Late today, Canada's international trade minister sent out this tweet saying she spoke to her EU counterpart today and was reassured that Canada's vaccine shipments will not be affected by the new measures. 
Israel facing criticism for not including Palestinians in its aggressive vaccine rollout is now changing that. A government source confirmed to Global News Israel will transfer 5,000 doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine to the Palestinian Authority in order to vaccinate 2,500 medical workers. The shots are due to be delivered to the West Bank early next week. It's not clear whether any of the shots will be given to healthy workers in the densely populated Gaza Strip, which is controlled by Hamas and subject to a blockade. There have been more than 158,000 cases of COVID-19 in the two Palestinian territories since the pandemic began. A team of coronavirus experts from the World Health Organization is getting to work in Wuhan, China, investigating how the pandemic began. But answers to some key questions about the origins of the disease that has changed the world overnight could take months. It took a year, but the World Health Organization is finally starting its field work here in Wuhan to begin to unlock the mystery of how an animal virus spilled over to humans. They'll focus on the first early days of the coronavirus outbreak here, and they'll follow two lines of investigation, animal and human. And where those lines potentially cross could offer clues to understanding the pandemic. This is painstaking work for scientists at the best of times, and this probe has been delayed. There are politics to navigate. It relies heavily on Chinese data. The team submitted a wish list to Chinese officials of sites that they hope to visit, places like hospitals that treated early COVID cases, as well as the market that's linked to the first cluster of cases. The team also wants to visit the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which has been the target for theories that the virus was leaked from its high security lab. There's no guarantee the team will get there. Try and get to every important lab that was involved in the early stages of the outbreak. If the evidence is there, we will follow it. Well, all eyes of the world are also on this investigation. With the U.S. rejoining the World Health Organization, there is special attention being paid in Washington. The White House this week saying it's, quote, imperative that we get to the bottom of the early days of the pandemic here in China. So expectations are high, but they also need to be kept in check. It's going to take months, probably longer, to begin to get some meaningful answers. As of Monday, airlines in Canada will cease service to many vacation hotspots, including Mexico. The rationale, well, to keep, help stop the spread of new, faster-spreading COVID variants. But it appears thousands of Americans are traveling without concern. Cancun and Tulum have become favorite destinations for Americans, even though Mexico now has the third highest COVID death rate in the world. Relaxed restrictions at the Mexican border have led to an influx of Americans looking to unwind. In November, the CDC assigned the highest travel alert level for Mexico and advised U.S. citizens not to travel to the country due to an increase in COVID-19 cases. Despite the warnings, thousands flocked to the Mexican Caribbean in search of parties and nightlife. The coronavirus, uh, some of us in our family have already had it. It's not that big a deal, and the governments are making it worse than it actually is. As millions of families struggle to keep their heads above water, Kate Middleton says she has found parenting during the COVID-19 pandemic exhausting. I suppose during lockdown, we've had to take on additional roles that perhaps others around us in our communities or in our lives would have perhaps supported us and helped us with. So, you know, I've become a hairdresser this lockdown. Uh, much to um, my children's horror, <laughs> seeing mum cutting hair. Um, we've had to become, you know, teacher, you know, and I think 
I personally feel pulled in so many different directions. The Duchess of Cambridge made the comment on a video call discussing the challenges facing families during the lockdown. She said her children have also given her math skills a failing grade after several months of homeschooling. The Duchess also said Prince William has been her greatest support during the pandemic. In health matters, Novavax says its COVID-19 vaccine was more than 89% effective in a trial conducted in Britain. The Maryland-based biotech firm said the trial enrolled 15,000 people aged 18 to 84. Novavax said its vaccine was 89.3% effective in preventing the virus. The company said the trial also appears to show the vaccine was nearly as effective, 85.6%, in protecting against the more highly contagious UK variant. A mid-stage trial shows the vaccine is 60% effective against the South African strain. Novavax is one of seven vaccines Canada has purchased for distribution upon Health Canada approval. A new study suggests low-dose aspirin could lead to better pregnancy outcomes in women with a history of miscarriage. Researchers from Emory University tracked more than 1,200 women trying to conceive after at least one pregnancy loss. Those who took aspirin at least five days a week were more likely to get pregnant, had fewer losses and more live births. The benefits were stronger when women began taking aspirin before pregnancy and weaker if they started after six weeks. Coming up next, our forecast and the weather Southern California has just endured. We're going to show you what happens when the skies open up and trapped animals are trapped in mudslides. That's as the news hour continues. A section of Highway 1 in the area of Big Sur, California has disappeared. Have a look at this amazing drone video of the scene. The highway collapsed when the cliff below gave way during a torrential rainstorm on Thursday. The road was washed into the Pacific Ocean. Officials say the roadway is continuing to erode as debris and water flow off the Big Sur Mountains. Crews began assessing the damage on Friday and started to repair it. It's not immediately clear how long those repairs will take. And how that same rainstorm left a pony and a horse in a desperate situation. We'll have that part of the story right after Yvonne's forecast. Boy, it has it was raining today, but not like Southern California saw it. No, and they have been hammered. Uh, for us, a very different weather picture. It's on and off through the day today. We do have some heavier rain, and we are seeing some snowfall that will be falling if you're traveling along the mountain passes. So I'll outline some of those amounts coming up in just a moment. Some light rainfall has been reported in the last hour to the airport. We're currently sitting at six degrees. We've got an easterly wind at nine kilometers per hour. A bit of a break right now, but we'll still see some waves as we look ahead towards this evening. So we're not out of the clear just yet. And in behind it, we've got the next weather maker that is going to push in additional rainfall across the south coast. And more snow is on the way, especially if you're traveling along the mountain passes. Here's what we're seeing on the future cast. So there's that wave that we'll be seeing for the morning hours through the day for tomorrow. By the afternoon and evening, the snow is going to intensify, especially for higher elevations. And we'll continue to see it towards the evening hours. So here's a quick glance. Uh, earlier today along the Rogers Pass, a gorgeous shot. This one was taken by Paul Cook, so thank you so much. A current look at what it looks like right now on the Rogers Pass and the Coquihalla, but do check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. Now, I've included snowfall amounts. This is for this evening and continuing by tomorrow night. The connector in Allison Pass could see anywhere between 10 and up to 15 centimeters. Sea to Sky, Whistler, 10 and up to 20 centimeters and higher amounts, especially along the Kootenai Pass 
pass will have that range between 20 and up to 30 centimeters. So we do, are looking at that snow. It picks up once again. And lower elevations tomorrow, the snow level is rising. We will see a bit of a change over to rain and then back over to snow towards the evening. Now, still seeing a chance of showers along the northern half of the province. Could see a few breaks in there for areas near Terrace. Light snowfall for most spots across the central interior. And then we are looking at that snow for the morning hours in the southern interior. And then it should change over to rain for most spots as the snow level rises to around 1,000 metres. So a heads up for the valley bottoms tomorrow. And even Kamloops will see that change over to rain with temperatures getting up to 6 degrees. Whistler will be hovering the freezing mark, so it could be some wet snowfall in the mix. And most areas along the south coast, another wet day to round off our weekend. We are going to see an additional 15, potentially up to 25 millimetres for most areas. On Monday, Tuesday, so far, it's going to be soggy. I've included Wyrton Willie into our forecast because I leave it for him on Tuesday, and I'm hoping that he's going to predict an early spring for us. But we'll see. Fingers crossed. We're still a few days out. but uh, We are all hoping for that, Yvonne. Yeah, I'm leaving it to him. He's forecast on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, we're out of the mix. Okay, thanks so much. As we mentioned earlier this week, heavy rains triggered mudslides and debris flows in Southern California. Look now at how crews were able to rescue a pony and a horse from a devastating mudslide. The Fremont Fire Department released these uh, clips showing the rescue in action. First, a pony that was stuck knee-deep. They had to use a backhoe along with shovels to free the pony, being careful not to injure the animal in the process. Their coordinated effort managed to lift the pony out of the mud. Then, a horse that had fallen on its side was lifted in a similar fashion. It's unclear if the horse and pony suffered any injuries. The Monterey County SBCA say the animals received treatment and were transported to an equine clinic. And we hope they are both doing well. Great guys. effort by the curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so much care there. What do you got coming up, Barry? Well, uh, Canucks are on a little three-game win streak, although against Ottawa, the worst team in their uh, divisions. They're in Winnipeg tonight. We'll tee that one up for you. And... Connor McDavid has scored one of those Connor McDavid goals that only he can get. Another one of those ones where you have to look at it a few times, and we'll do that for you, too. Just incredible. So that's coming up. Oh, good. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Barry. It may be fair to say that at no other point have people been expanding their families more than during the pandemic. Some waiting months to hear the pitter-patter of little feet on their floors. Well, you're about to meet one group of adoptive parents who have done more than just provide homes. They're saving lives. Special cargo loaded off planes. (laughs) Furry survivors traveling thousands of miles finally greet their new owners. I'm just, I don't have words. It's amazing. His name is Ben. Can you imagine what he's been through? I don't think any of us can. Global animal welfare group No Dogs Left Behind worked with activists in China to rescue these hundred dogs from slaughterhouses, wet markets and illegal traffickers. Once we actually save the dogs, it's an incredible process of gathering these dogs that are beaten and tortured, pulling them from these inhumane cages, many of them dying, many of them dead many of them infected with disease. 
The dogs are brought to safe havens, given medical care and socialized, ready for adoption after their long journey. And many of these families have been waiting for months for their new arrival. Elated, so happy. The founder of No Dogs Left Behind says the pandemic limited efforts to save more and get them back quickly. But now, finally, these pups have a home. At JFK Airport, Natalie Dudridge, CBS2 News. Pet adoption has been at a fever pitch during the pandemic, and that includes members of our Global BC family. Meet the latest addition to Keith Baldry's family. This is Alfred P. Baldry III, but he answers to Alfie. According to Keith's Twitter account, he is 13 weeks old, super smart, adorable, and very amusing. Though Keith does admit that he's uh, a puppy terror right now, kind of sounds like he takes after his dad, and will clearly be assisting Keith on the job from home. We want to congratulate the Baldrys on their new arrival. So adorable. A win's a win. Yes, it doesn't matter who you beat. They right? all count for two points. A win against the best team <laughs> counts for the uh, same as the worst team. Yeah, thanks, Colleen. This will make sense after I say the Canucks beat up on the lowly Ottawa Senators to get themselves back to 500 through 10 games. Tonight, they start a six-game road trip in Winnipeg. Thatcher Demko starts in goal. Jake for 10, and once again, a healthy scratch. Now, beating up on Ottawa is one thing. These next six against the Jets, Habs, and Leafs will be a much stiffer test to see if the Canucks have truly found their game. I think our game's getting better. Um, it's getting a little bit tighter. Uh, you know, I, I think offensively we're starting to see some more goals go in the net. Defensively, I think we're last game we we really didn't give up a whole lot of uh, shots from the inside. Yeah, I think we uh, definitely kind of started finding our game the last uh, you know week or ten days here. Um, obviously, with the way we started the season on the road too, came out of that first road trip one and three. So. Uh, to be 500 or better on the road is always the goal, and uh, it's no different this year. For us, I think you, you have to take a look at the quality of shots, how we're defending You know, after the first shot is taken. Um, sometimes you know, the total shots is a little misleading. And I thought we you know, took some big steps the last few games in, in how we defended, and uh, we'll just try and keep carrying that over. NHL tonight from Edmonton, Oilers and Leafs. Edmonton scuffling at 3-6. and six. Leafs lead the North at 7-2. First period, Oilers get the icebreaker. It's the German connection. Leon Dreisaitl, the countryman Dominic Cahoon, his first as an Oiler, chipping it over Freddie Anderson. 1-0 Edmonton. But later, John Tavares will force the turnover. William Nylander with the quick hands. Fires past Miko Koskinen. Nylander's fourth, 1-1, but with just 13 seconds left in the first. Connor McDavid, fantastic pass from behind the net to Josh Archibald, who scores short side. McDavid with his NHL-leading 15th point. 2-1 Edmonton after one. Second period, vintage Connor. This is ridiculous. Goes through the entire team. Whoop-de-doo past Jake Muzzin, then roofs it. Goal of the year candidate. Absolutely spectacular, doing it at warp speed. You could watch that over and over and over. Even Connor can't stop smiling after that one. One of his best ever. 3-1, but the Leaf stars respond. Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews. Marner with the fake shot, returns pass to Matthews, who will score. That was pretty nice as well. Take that, Connor. It's 3-2. And then a minute later on the power play, Zach Hyman finds the loose puck in front, tucks it in. 3-3 the score. Meanwhile, McDavid looking for more on the backhander or forehander. Hits the post. Somehow that stays out. They're now in overtime. It's 3-3. 
Leafs and Oilers. Flames and Habs, Montreal yet to lose in regulation this year, 5-0-2 through 7. Flames have lost three straight, but they get the jump on the power play. Johnny Gaudreau rifles the wrister past Jake Allen. It's a 1-0 Calgary. Second period, Jesperi Kotkaniemi, look out! Here comes Dylan Dubé with a huge hit. Certainly some contact with the head, but no penalty called by the on-ice officials. Kotkaniemi seemed okay. He stayed in the game. Canadians looking to tie it up 2-1-1. Philip Deneau with the wrister. Confidently a glove by Jacob Markstrom. 20 save, uh, 7 saves through 2. 1-0 Flames very late in the third. Sabres and Devils. Uh, Devils from Buffalo. Third period tied 2-2. Sabres going to take the lead. Victor Olofsson on the power play. Snaps it. Top shelf, that's a great shot. 3-2 for Buffalo, but the Devils tie it. Five minutes to go, it's the Finnish rookie, Yanni Kuakinen, with his first career NHL goal. It's 3-3. It went to a shootout, and this is the game winner off the stick of Jack Eichel. Goes post and in, the only goal of the shootout. Sabres now 3-0-1 in their last four as they beat the Devils 4-3. World Cup Super G from Garmisch Partenkirchen, Germany. A surprise from Canadian national team veteran Marie Michelle Gagnon had not had a podium finish since 2016, but she put it all together today. Comes from the back of the pack and captures a bronze medal. Switzerland's Laura Gut Barami won gold. Another Super G schedule tomorrow. Then it's the World Championships, February 8th to 21st in Cortina, Italy. Third round of the Farmers from beautiful Torrey Pines in San Diego. Patrick Reed. On the par 5 sixth, an eagle putt from 40 feet, and it goes down for eagle. Reed with a blistering 5 under 31 on the front, had it to 13 under on a day when only about 30% of the players broke par. Ozzy Adam Scott from uh, on the par 5 ninth, from 290 out, flushes the three wood, one of the best shots of the tournament. How about that? Lands it softly to three and a half feet, made the eagle putt. Scott, though, could only manage even par 72. He's tied third at eight under. Reed on 18 had four bogeys on the back nine before making this birdie at 18. He's tied for the lead with Carlos Ortiz at 10 under. Adam Hadwin, top Canadian at four under. He, uh, he's tied 20th. Roger Sloan tied 67th at three over. English Premiership, first place Manchester City versus last place Sheffield United. Sheffield coming off that shocking 2-1 win midweek over Man United, but a great setup here by Ferran Torres for Gabriel Dejus. Uh, eight straight Premier League win now for City. They're now three up on second place Man United, who drew nil-nil with Arsenal. And Bundesliga. Front-running Bayern Munich and Alfonso Davies taking on Hoffenheim. Already 1-0 Bayern. They add another. Thomas Muller with the left footer. Didn't get all of it, but floats it into the corner. 2-0 Bayern Munich. Second half now 2-1. And Kingsley Coman finds Robert Lewandowski. He's not going to miss from there. 3-1 Bayern. And they'll add one more for good measure. Once again, it's uh, Kingsley Coman doing the work. Chips it to Serge Gnabry, who makes it 4-1. And that's the final as Bayern Munich retain their seven-point lead atop the Bundesliga. And uh, once again, the Canucks and the Jets tonight will have uh, highlights at 11. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Barry.
A hockey fundraiser in Edmonton, usually involving dozens of players, hundreds of volunteers and spectators, has been given the green light by Alberta health officials. What's being called the world's longest hockey game was granted the exemption after creating its own NHL-style bubble. Chris Chacon explains. It's a big undertaking and a big change for an Edmonton-area fundraiser. The world's longest games have raised more than $5 million for the Cross Cancer Institute since 2003. But this year, the hockey event was up in the air. Everyone's hesitant and that's why I know the players and the volunteers are because uh, they're scared at home. They don't want to be that person. But on Thursday, Dr. Dina Hinshaw confirmed the game will go on. There was a determination that it was in the public interest and that since that first criteria could be met by the multiple layers of rigorous protocols, uh, we did decide to grant an exemption to this particular event. In previous years, the hockey fundraiser welcomed hundreds of people on site. But in order to hold the 10-day event this year, organizers had to create a bubble with strict provincial protocols. Uh, our first step in the process was uh, every player to get swabbed. And now we're in full isolation at home, as you can see here in my uh, isolation suite in my bedroom here. After the 40 players wrap up their week in isolation, they then move to the bubble, where individual trailers await them. Every player, uh, if you're not on the ice, you're going to be in isolation in your trailer. So you're basically on the ice playing or you're in your trailer sleeping for, for the entire event. There will be no spectators. The referees will be in the stands. Players will receive a daily PCR COVID test. Organizer Brent Sake says it's a requirement that could have cost more than $150,000, but it's being donated by DynaLife for free. If they didn't do that, we don't play. Player Andrew Buchanan says despite fears of COVID-19, he couldn't turn down the opportunity to honor fellow firefighter Thomas Hayden, who died of pancreatic cancer in 2018. When I got invited to this event, I couldn't think of a, you know, a better person, a better teammate a uh, better captain and an amazing father to dedicate this game to. People are welcome to drive by to show their support. Chris Chacon, Global News. That's nice. Mm, I'm not sure what would be worse, getting high sticked in the face or getting one of those nasal swabs. <laughs> they, or playing outdoors at minus 25. That's right, the trailer's best have heat. Oh my goodness, <laughs> cold. Not so cold here, not yep. yet. Not yet. Temperatures actually uh, for tomorrow will bump up to 8 degrees. It'll be the rain, though, a heads up 15 and up to 25 millimeters. Uh, snowfall, especially for areas near Whistler, and we will see a soggy start to the week. Looking forward to Groundhog Day on Tuesday. Uh, I'll see what uh, Wireton really says. Although it has felt like Groundhog Day already every day, but. Yeah, don't we have Groundhog way. Day for like five months? I was going <laughs> to say longer than that. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. That's the news hour for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Jordan's here at 11. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow night. Have a good one.